Hello and welcome back to The Flex. It's Matt St. Jean and Joe here giving you everything you need to know about the Providence Friars. Friars return to action Thursday evening at that 5 o'clock right after work tip. First time they played in 12 days because of COVID. And they got a nice win. Friars defeat Georgetown 83 to 75. Uh, they get their first win over Georgetown since the 2020 season, uh, 2019-2020 season, since Georgetown beat them last year. This is a game that had been rescheduled, but the Friars were at full health COVID-wise. Everybody was out there. Reeves still missing. Everybody out there for the Friars, and it showed early as the team got off to a 13 to nothing start, and they just kind of wrote it from there. Joe, what were your uh, what were your impressions based on this first game back from COVID? Um, uh, I mean, they were bits and pieces of the game that I looked at, and I was like, okay, it looks like the team came back from COVID. Um, there were also parts of the game where I was pleasantly surprised. I, I think, uh, you know, we can talk a lot about um, Ed Croswell coming off the bench, going perfect from the floor with 15 points. But I really think there are three unsung heroes to the game, and that's Horkler, Bynum, and Manaya. You know, I, I think those three guys did all of the right things. Um Mm-hmm. And it showed, you know, I, I think Bynum specifically is my unsung MVP. Didn't score in double figures, but put up. But he what did he have? Did they change that nine points in nine. How points, many? I think. Yeah, nine points, nine points and eight assists. I And also he's playing downhill, which is something he didn't do a lot of last year. And I think I just think overall, I mean, anyone that played more than five minutes was flirting with scoring in double figures. So. I think this was a, an extremely well-rounded game. There were a couple of hiccups late with some turnovers and some composure issues that just looked to be the result of a 12-day pause. But overall, you know, Ed Cooley said he'd win, he would prefer to win the game by one if it meant you got to win. And that's what we did. So you walk away from this one happy. Yeah, that's, that's what really matters. This was win number 15 on the season for, for Providence. They are 15-2, and 5-1 and one in conference play. And for Ed Cooley, this was his 209th win with the Friars, which ties him with Dave Gavitt for second most all-time in program history. So give a nice round of applause for that one. That's one heck of an accomplishment for for. And I think when he got hired all those years ago, <laughs> over a decade ago now, I think this is as much as you could have hoped for from him. This is a program that was in a rough spot. So to now be in this position where he is, I'm assuming that he will win at least one more game as the Friars head coach. So to have a to have the higher end of being your second winningest coach of all time, massive personal accomplishment, massive school accomplishment right there. Yeah, I mean, that's just awesome. You know, you bring in Ed Cooley to essentially revitalize a failing program. He does that. He takes the program to the NCAA tournament five years in a row, uh, however many postseasons, including the NIT. And he has them uh, as one of the best teams in the country right now, top 25, one of the best uh, in league play since 03-04 with a 5-1 and one record. He's really done tremendous things for this program, you know, He's had his up years. He's had his down years. The fans have been hot and cold. But, you know, the, the story of him growing up in the streets of Providence, it, where he's traveled with his coaching career up to Boston, down to Connecticut with Fairfield and back home to Providence. It's just it's a really great story. Um, Kevin Farhar and the guys at FriarBasketball.com recently put out an article saying how Providence is the most fortunate team in the country. And it highlights Ed Cooley's journey to the position that he's in right now. Definitely well worth a read. Um 
but really the, the story's outstanding and it's only fitting that he's now tied uh, the late great Dave Gavitt in all-time Providence wins. A massive accomplishment again for him. So so happy for him as a person. A great guy. A great I mean he's he's the father of the school in so many ways. Though the role he takes on. So yeah, obviously very happy for him and when it comes to this basketball team, I think this might be the deepest group that he has ever assembled for the Friars. You look at the the scoring totals in this game against Georgetown. You got four different guys in double figures and then three more that were at nine points. It's pretty impressive when you get well-rounded scoring like that. And once again, no A.J. Reeves. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, eventually it's going to catch up to us and we're going to need Reeves back. You know, I think Horkler and Manaya hit some really timely threes late in the second half. I'm going to say Manaya's three that put us up 67-60 was the shot of the game with roughly Absolutely. four... Roughly four minutes left, I think it was. But, you know, when you have Reeves there, I think a lot more of those three start to fall. Um, we were 9 of 19. So, I mean, again, not terrible. But when you have Reeves in the mix, those shots fall and it pads the stats a little bit better. But these guys are stepping up. And your comment about this being one of the deepest teams that Ed Cooley's coached is absolutely well taken. And I think it's spot on. You know, it, on a night when Watson scores 10 points, Ed Croswell scores 15, and both of them share the time. So it, you're comparing apples to oranges. Watson's a, a huge dominant interior presence. Ed Croswell is a little more shifty around the rim, so it throws Georgetown all out of whack. Uh, I just think you can go up and down the roster and talk about these interchangeable parts, these, as Ed Cooley claims, positionless basketball players, and I think last night was a, a prime example of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, you got veterans making clutch shots. Like you said, Manaya the late three, Horkler burying two right after that. That keeps Georgetown at bay. That's just awesome. Something I do want to mention, though, for as good as the offense was at points against the Hoyas, scoring 83 points, the defense has been a little bit rough over the last couple games. Obviously, what happened at Marquette. And then you have the game against St. John. St. John scores 73 against you. Part of that's they play high tempo. There's a lot more possessions. But now Georgetown 75. That's the second most points they've given up this year. The three highest point totals they've given up this year have happened in the last three games. And that coincides with A.J. Reeves being out. We've spent a lot of time talking about Reeves as a shooter. Do you think it's possible we've been underestimating his defensive ability and that's why we're seeing some of these sloppier defensive performances over the last couple of weeks? Yes, and I'm glad you bring up that point, Matt. Um, I think when you look at our backcourt defense and the defense on the wing, Reeves is definitely losing Reeves defensively is a hit. Um and that's not a knock on any of the backup guys like Breed or, or Goodine or even Bynum. But Reeves is, is one of those guys. He's six foot six. He plays technically a wing guard position where he can play the true shooting guard, but we play him at the three because he's kind of a matchup nightmare. It, when you have Reeves on the floor, you're bigger defensively because when you're starting Alan Breed or you're starting Jared Bynum at the one and you have Durham at the two, you're already starting at a disadvantage because Bynum and Breed are undersized guards, Durham's average size, and then Horkler and Ia Watson. When you throw Reeves into the mix, he's a big guard. So defensively, like on a night like last night, Reeves may have drawn the matchup of what's that guy's name? 
Caden Rice, the guy who kept sniping mm. threes. Like, if Reeves so is on him, and, and Reeves is a veteran guy who knows how to defend a, a sharp shot three because he is a sharp shot three, maybe that maybe defensively we're a little bit tighter. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, I think I think you're absolutely right, Matt, that the loss of Reeves has impacted us, obviously, offensively, but defensively it's 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 screwed with the system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I think... I think we may have just been underrating the development from him to go with that, too, because we've I've criticized him plenty in the past for his defense. And something like this makes you say, all right, I got to go back and and rewatch some of this. You notice the the areas where he's just a little bit quicker with his feet and he's getting in better positions that he's just he's refined his game over these years. And that helps you against Marquette. You gave up 10 three pointers against Georgetown. He gave up 13 three pointers. St. John's wasn't really hitting from deep. They were getting open looks. They just weren't falling. So, yeah, I think his perimeter defense is something I didn't realize we were going to miss, but it's shown up in the stat sheet. And part of that's too. You're playing a, a Georgetown team that shoots the three really well and a Marquette team that starting with that game has shot the three very well. So oh, you, you got to credit the opponents, but Getting Reeves well, back, I think, will help you on the defensive end. You ever hear the saying, it takes one to know one? It takes mm-hmm. a sharpshooting three-point shooter to know another sharpshooting three-point shooter. So that's why Reeves is, is a beneficial piece on defense because he knows. So he's someone who, when he gets an open look, he knows he's going to cock it back and take it. So he's someone who knows, like, oh, okay, Rice is a good three-point shooter. I need to get out on him when he has the open look. I get that look in my eye, too. Um, I also think... What we haven't touched on is Reeves in the paint and his physicality. You know, he's a sneaky rebounder. And I've said that for the past three years, even before the podcast, is that Reeves puts up sneaky boards. And they're, they're not always the the wide open rebounds that you're like, oh, rebound check on Manaya, rebound check on, on Horkler. Reeves is like scrambling for loose balls and like putting rebounds on the stat sheet that don't look like traditional rebounds. So I think in the paint, one, he's physical. He's a he's a scrappy player, similar to Ed Croswell, who's not afraid to you know get down and dirty. Two, he rebounds. He's just the law. Missing him hasn't killed us, but you know it's starting to catch up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that'll be something to watch going forward. It seems like Reeves is definitely getting closer to a return. He was warming up before the Georgetown game. Uh, so this will be a situation to watch. I would not be shocked if he's back against Butler, and we're going to talk about that game more later. But something else I think we got to mention. The Friars are all alone in first place in the Big East after this win, and that's in no small part thanks to Marquette and what they did at Villanova the other night. I mean, that was just incredible. The first time a team has gone into the pavilion in one since 2018, the first, the first time... Villanova's lost at home since the Friars beat them on Leap Day 2020 at Wells Fargo Center. That's, I mean, whatever whatever it was that Marquette got into before their game against Providence, it has unleashed something because they've very quickly become the team nobody wants to play. I want to play them again. But <laughs> oh, I, we will I know, soon. I know, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I mean, all thanks to Marquette, Providence sits alone atop the league. Um, and, you know, uh, it, during that COVID pause, you were watching Villanova rank up wins and you're saying to yourself, oh, F, like Providence was the top team in the league. And now just because of time off, by default, we are not. Um, 
Marquette puts the hammer on Nova, and now look at that one one loss Providence on the top. Um, obviously, you know you have to keep it up. I don't imagine we're gonna continue the entirety of league play with one loss. If we did, you can quote me on that, and I'll be happy yeah, to be prove impressive. that I was wrong. But um, yeah, and talk about you know Villanova being exploited at home, like. Uh, I've talked about their depth issues a lot this year, and I think that's really coming to fruition now. Like, you can't run in Big East play with six guys that are going to get serious minutes, especially when your backup point guard is baby Archidiacono, who hasn't really had serious time running the offense. And he didn't even play against Marquette. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Villanova is... That... This is definitely not your typical Villanova team. That is absolutely right. I mean, listen, they're still good. They're still efficient. Um, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, I just think in when you compare them to Villanova teams of years past, you, you Jay Wright goes to the bench and, you know, you can almost breathe a sigh of relief. I don't think Caleb Daniels is anything special. Um, nope. And, and Brian Antoine Jay hasn't got, developed. Jay Wright doesn't trust his freshmen enough to give them minutes. So you're you're looking at a Colin Gillespie that's coming off of a serious injury, and you're looking at an Eric Dixon that played in the shadow of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who's in the NBA now. So, I mean, they're good, and they'll win the games they're supposed to win. Are they the clear-cut favorite for to cut down the nets on March, whatever it is, 16th? I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows. Yeah. And it's you look at the top of the Big East right now, and it's it's an interesting position because, you, I mean, Xavier's right up there at the top, but they already lost both of their games against Villanova this year, so they're not going to win tiebreakers. And it becomes a lot harder to argue that they're a better team than Villanova when that happens. And obviously yep. the Friars are up there with Villanova. Seton Hall has fallen off. UConn, UConn is certainly good. We don't know how good yet. So that's going to be something to watch. They haven't played Villanova. And then, I don't know, I mean, are we putting Marquette up there? I mean, Marquette and Creighton have both beaten Villanova. Creighton obviously also got handled by Villanova, so I don't know how much we're going to, how much stock we're going to put in that game. But Marquette beat them. So it's an interesting position where it's, it almost seems like it's Providence and Villanova as the top two teams. That's your top tier right now. And you can put Xavier in that tier, but they're a half step below just because of what they've done against the Wildcats. If I was to break the Big East Conference into tiers right now, and I'm looking at the standings in front of me, Providence and Villanova are the top tier. I would put Xavier and Seton Hall in the second tier. Mm -hmm. UConn, Marquette, Creighton in the third tier. And then I'd put St. John's. St. John's almost in in their own tier. Yeah, St. John's gets their own tier, and then Butler, DePaul, Georgetown are in the bottom tier. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's ever-changing, and we're going to see what happens as the season goes along. But, I mean, the last game of the year for the Friars right now, if we're going to look way ahead, is at Villanova. Assuming everything goes and that, that game is played, that game could very well be for the regular season championship, depending on how things go. It, so, it very well could be. Uh, yeah. And it, obviously a lot can happen until then. There could be a ton of tiebreakers that have to happen. But, it, yeah, your point's well taken. That very well could be the, the battle for the regular season title. Yeah. 
So, yeah, lots of stuff around the Big East. While we're going around the Big East, Joe, I know uh, we're talking about this beforehand. This is something that got under my skin earlier. After the last podcast, I kind of felt like we're being a little bit harsh on Kevin Willard and some of the comments he made at Seton Hall. Obviously, this is a coach trying to just defend his team, put himself out there in the best situation. So he's going to do what he can to make his team look better. And all right. He deserves criticism for basically saying these games shouldn't count because my team wasn't full strength. But you can let it slide when some time passes. And then this week in the Big East podcast with John Rook and uh, Kevin McNamara dropped today. And he was the one interviewed. I'm listening to it. And he comes on. He starts talking about, oh, really? I mean, our games after Christmas just shouldn't have been played. Like, we just, we we weren't ready to play Providence. We weren't ready to play Villanova. Like, yeah, like those games just shouldn't have happened. I'm just saying here, like, it's been a month, man. You had, first of all, it's not up to you. It's up to the conference. The conference determined you had enough players to play, so you got to play. Your job is to get the team ready to play. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. So, like, it's been, and it's been so long. Why are you still breaking that up? You're the only one that cares about that anymore, and you keep bringing it up. And it just, man, it rubs me the wrong way because he's not winding, saying that about his his win over UConn. <laughs> you're winding me up right now, Matt. I, I just, this is a lousy and lazy and selfish excuse for why you lost those games. I'm sorry. And if you're going to look for all these external factors as to why you lost the games, then that's why you're going to keep losing conference games. If you keep blaming your losses on an external factor like a COVID pause, you are sending the wrong message to your team and you're sending the wrong message to the public. How about you you look in the mirror and you take some ownership over the losses? We lost to Marquette and you know who we blamed? We didn't say, oh, we didn't have AJ Reams. We blamed ourselves because we didn't come out ready to play. We just came off of a 12-day COVID pause, and we beat Georgetown. Now, listen, did the COVID pause affect us in certain ways throughout the game? Yes, but we didn't let it affect the game. I I, I just – and also, if you look back at the Seton Hall game, four out of the, let's call it, six guys that couldn't play were averaging two minutes a game to begin with. So, yes, Ike Obiagu is a powerful center, and whoever the other guy was that was out is another good player. But it's not like Jared Roden – Samuel. It's not like Jared Roden was sidelined. It's not like Kadari Richmond or Bryce Aiken were sidelined. You had good players. And that to say that you lost the game because of Ike Obiagu and Samuel is a discredit to the guys that were on the floor playing. Yeah. Yeah, if the the Friars went out there and played a game without, I don't know, a top scorer and lacking a little bit of depth – Ed Cooley wouldn't say that. And guess what? He hasn't he hasn't complained once about not having AJ. He's not doing right. it. That's not how this goes. So uh, and you're not gonna hear if the the Friars lost this game, Ed Cooley's not gonna say in a month, yeah, we shouldn't have played that game. So it's not and I asked him about this. When I had a media availability with the team and I asked him, how does this process work? And he said, it's not a democracy, and we don't get to pick. His job is to make sure the players are, are ready. And you could tell by the way he answered it, he had his que- he had his problems with it. And that's fine. As a coach, yeah. you're allowed to have your problems with it. But that's between the coach and the administration of the Big East. It has nothing to do with the players at that point. And if, yeah. if you have problems with that, you should be voicing your concerns regardless if it's a win or a loss. Yeah. Like it's not, you shouldn't be blaming losses on it. 
And in the same breath, Kevin Willard, to your point, Matt, that you said earlier, not a peep about UConn coming off of a COVID pause and losing to Seton Hall. Not one peep. So by his by his own logic, he should take the podium after that UConn loss and say, guys, this win for us does not count because UConn is coming off of a COVID pause. You didn't hear a word out of him after that. Yeah, and of course you're not going to because no coach is ever going to say that. But this is part of the job. You have to get your guys ready to play no matter who they are. And it's going to be tough sometimes. But this is this is the way it goes. If you got an issue with the way the situation is, then you got to take that to the conference. And you know what? It's not always going to be fair. It's going to suck sometimes. It does for everybody. That's the way things are in the world right now. Suck it up. Play basketball. It's what we're here to do. Like it's not it's really it really is just that simple. No reason to be complaining about it at this point. I think part of the issue, too, is Seton Hall in the preseason was touted to be one of the better teams in the co- in the conference and in the nation. Since then, they've dropped out of the top 25. They're underperforming in conference play. And Kevin Willard, by the way, did your COVID pause lose you that game at Marquette? Did it? Because if it did, be I'd fair. love to hear about why. I, I, I know there's fair, another I reason side- why he- I will side with Kevin Willard in this one. The officiating may have been a, a significant contributor to why he lost that game. And that's a whole other conversation about Big East officiating because it's been terrible. But they also they lost it to Paul. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it, it's, that's not because it, it of blow, COVID. It blows my mind. And knowing Kevin Willard, and I really liked Kevin Willard before he started pissing and moaning about the COVID pause, knowing Kevin Willard, he's going to hinge everything that happens the rest of the season on his swing of losses after the COVID break. Uh, Oh, you know, if we really had, we shouldn't have played those games. Like they could win the conference championship and he'll be in there crying like, oh, we really shouldn't have played those games. Like enough, enough is enough is enough. It was a month ago. The beauty of the Big East is a double round robin. You play everyone twice. So go play everyone again. Get those wins back. If you really want to prove to everyone that you shouldn't have played the games, go beat everyone again. Uh, that's all I can say to him. Yeah. And it's like the other thing is he's sitting there saying, oh, like the committee is not going to remember that we had to play that game without people. Yeah, they will. That's why there's a committee. It's why it's people. That's the whole point. Like it, it, we would just measure it by metrics, if not for the fact that there's always external circumstances, whether it be COVID, whether it be injuries, whether it be changes in rotations. They're there to help evaluate what teams are and to measure some of the things that you can't measure with a stat sheet. Yep. So, yes, I'm confident that the committee is going to look at their two losses there and probably discount them a little bit the same way they're going to discount the win over UConn. A little bit because sometimes a team isn't quite at full strength and they're going to do that for all these teams across the country. And at the end of the day, Seton Hall ends this. I mean, we got a lot of basketball left. There's going to be more COVID pauses. That's almost assured. So if Seton Hall gets one more win this year that happens to be over a team that is recovering from a pause, they will be at net equal. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) So so it does balance out like if you if you get completely screwed on it. Like and you lose games and you you're missing all your starters or anything like that. That'll have some sympathy for you. But the only reason it's not a big deal in the media right now is because this isn't a big deal. Like is that this is this shouldn't be an excuse for this game, but he keeps bringing it up trying to make it one. Yeah, I, I also think, too, 
you know, if you take into account the context of this, he's playing guest on the podcast hosted by Rook and McNamara, two Providence-centric guys. Kevin Willard's obviously upset he didn't even get his rematch against Providence. He's gonna take. He's gonna try and take a subliminal dig at us, and I, yeah. I think we have to realize that too. But. I don't think he understands the external perception that that gives him. Like at the end of the day, you're two and four in conference play, not because of the COVID pause, but because you lost it to Paul and you lost at Marquette. That's why you're two and four. Yeah. Because realistically, a road game at Providence and a game against Villanova, those are tough anyway. Complete full strength. Right. You're, there's those no could have been losses anyway. Uh, yeah. And you know what? Heck, the Marquette one could have been a loss, but losing it to Paul, that's nobody's fault but your own. We'll see what the yeah. schedule looks like here for Seton Hall. They get St. John's back-to-back Saturday and Monday, which is going to be super interesting. They got a chance. By the time we're previewing the, the game against Xavier for the Friars next week, Seton Hall could be back at 500 in conference play, and they could have righted the ship. So, obviously, it's the beginning of a long season still. But, yeah, that just that really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, we can we can move on from this a little bit. Talk guys, circle back to some Friars basketball because Providence has a short turnaround. They're back at home against Butler on Sunday noon tip off, and I think the Friars did get a little bit fortunate here. First two games after a COVID pause being Georgetown Butler at home. That's about as easy as it's going to get in the conference. Uh, I'd say on paper, yes. Um, yeah. As Georgetown proved, though, you know the paper. The paper trail does not always prove to be right. I mean, Georgetown was pesky last night. They were hitting threes. They they made that late second half surge. Um, Butler's coming off of back-to-back losses to UConn and back-to-back-to-back losses to ranked teams. This is the fourth ranked team in a row that Butler's playing. So if anyone thinks that Butler's coming into the Dunkin' Donuts Center to roll over and get Pelly rubs because they're the Bulldogs, uh, no. <laughs> They're, they're coming in to, to right the ship. Laval Jordan's a good coach. He gets his guys playing well. Um, it's it's an unexpected tough year for them. You know, I think, Matt, you and I were both extremely high on the Bulldogs. They returned a lot of guys coming into the year. Um, a, a development, Aaron Thompson did leave the, the Connecticut game last night with what seemed to be some sort of upper body shoulder injury. I didn't catch the full diagnosis. I didn't watch the full game. He fell. Uh, it seems like his shoulder was held back by Adama Sonogo and like he landed weird and he left the game. I feel like that guy's always hurt, Aaron Thompson. Yeah. You know, I feel like he's supposed to be so good, but he's also so injury prone. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, he's a talented guy, but he has just never been able to fully put it together. I mean, he missed time this year due to injury already, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, it's yeah, I mean, that's tough for I feel. From, yeah. He's missed three games this year due to injury already yeah, and this is yeah this is a, a underperforming butler team they started the year 55th in the country in ken palm that was the projection and as of us recording this they're at 142 they've dropped nearly 90 spots in the metrics Lost. and it's like that across the board whether you're going to bart torvik whether you're looking at the net like they're just they bottomed out this is a team that has talent but they're not playing like it and there's there's not a whole lot of green on the team sheet. There's not a whole lot that they do well. And that's why the only teams they've beaten in the Big East, DePaul and Georgetown. Yeah. Um, I I don't really know what to expect from this Butler team coming in. I just hope that, you know, we can ride the win that we just had and continue to play well. 
Um, but yeah, I, 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 what you said is true, Matt. The, this is a Butler team that's underperformed. Um, they scored less than 60 points in each of their last three games. Uh, two of them were against Connecticut. <laughs> Looking at this right now by like yeah, a similar played, score. Yeah, they played. Yeah, this is also part of this, just the weird scheduling that's happened this year. Butler played UConn back-to-back this week at a home-and-home. Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah, neither one of them was for close. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to expect. What I can say is I hope the team plays well. Um, Yeah, I hope Providence comes and plays well. That's that's my bottom line for this Butler game. This is the worst offense in the Big East. So you talk about this Friars defense. It's going to be a get-right game for the defense to kind of figure things out. Butler's offense, they they get to the free throw line a lot. They like to shoot the three ball. They're not that good at shooting the three. They just shoot it a lot. And <laughs> they're, a sl- they're a slow offense. So, yeah, I think it's going to be probably low scoring, not a ton of possessions. But I, I would hope the Friars were able to force some turnovers. This is one of those games. It can be just like the Georgetown game where you want to build that early lead and you just... Butler's not going to have the firepower to get back in it. They don't have sharpshooters like Georgetown has that can make a game close. So once you get that lead at some point, then you just you just hold on. I think the big thing for Providence, the big story to watch here is will A.J. Reeves be back? Because if he will is, AJ, this is a nice get-right game for him. Will A.J. Reeves be, rack, be, be, black, be, be back? Oh, my God. <laughs> I told you. I told you before. I had a long day at work. Yeah, will this Reeves is what happens. Re- recording on a Friday evening after a long week at work. Will Reeves return? And can we close the game out? You know, we did close the game out against Georgetown. It wasn't pretty. We did it. But you also spotted them a 13-point lead, a 16-point lead at some points in the second half. Can we close this game out? Can we win by double figures? Mm-hmm. Is the question. If if that if we are winning in the second half. That's and that's going to be the big thing because I mean Providence has struggled in the last ten minutes of games. They got outscored by Georgetown over the last ten. They did finish very strong against St. John's, which was awesome. Obviously, they got beat by Marquette. DePaul outscored them over the last ten minutes. Go back to that Seton Hall game. Seton Hall outscored them over the last ten minutes. UConn outscored them over the last ten minutes. This has been something. Central Connecticut. Back when they played that game, if you remember that, going back to early December, Central Connecticut outscored them 17 to 5 over the last 10 minutes. So I think, I mean, for Friars fans, I know it's easy to complain about some of the metrics and how it measures how efficient the team is. I think a lot of that criticism is fair. Part of it that you need to consider, though, is that the Friars have not always done a very good job at playing 40 minutes of basketball. They just they play 25 to 30 minutes of bas- good basketball on any given night. It's just that basketball is so good that the other teams can't handle it. That combined with the fact that they get leads and they're good at making the shots late. Like Manaya and Horkler combine and get three threes in the last five minutes against Georgetown to put that game away. If you have a game where those guys don't hit that shot, those shots, what happens? That's kind of the next step of finding out about this team. And Hopefully, you can see that improvement late in games just to make sure that no teams are coming back. I think if you have that full 40-minute improvement, the metrics are going to take off in a hurry. Yep, exactly. I think a lot of this um, 
animosity towards the metrics comes from Ken Palm. You know, at the end of the day, you these are all these are all tools to help you analyze a basketball team. There is no one single tool, whether it be Ken Palm, the net, the AP poll, the coaches poll, the what's the other one? Heiser, Hess rankings, whatever it is. Oh, there's has there's, metrics. There's a whole bunch. Yeah, there, Everybody so and their many, mother has a metric. <laughs> at the end of the day, if you want to look at something to evaluate the teams, look at the Big East Conference standings. Mm-hmm. That and save yourself the stress of worrying about Ken Palm this, net that, RPI this. Just look at the Big East Conference standings, and there's your story. Exactly. And this is watching the Ken Palm is something the Friars fans have gotten used to the last couple of years. Because we've been a bubble team when you get close. And you're watching because you know if you're on the bubble, then having better metrics is really going to help you out. That can help you get over the hump and into the tournament. The way things are going for the Friars, that's not going to be the concern. So whether they finish at 40 or 25 in Kennebom or top 10 – It's really going to be the resume that determines what this team does. So you can be concerned about the metrics because it might tell you a little bit more about, all right, how is this team going to fare against Xavier or Villanova? But if you win those games, if you actually do come away with the victories, it's not going to matter with the metrics. Say you're going to get a top seed in March. That's that's where we are right now. Unless the team entirely falls apart down the stretch, they're, they're already close to a lock for for March Madness. So we're just playing for seeding in some ways. Yep. So, yeah, I, it's not it's not worth obsessing over that. You're going to lose a lot of sleep about Ken Pomeroy's computer, which has no feelings one way or another against the Friars. <laughs> it's not try, it's not trying to screw over the Friars. It's not trying to prop them up. It's just spitting out numbers and the numbers measure how efficient you are. And the Friars are less efficient than I think you would expect them to be, and some of that is legitimate, and some of that is just basketball. So we're also, we're still, we're, I think we're three games away now from the preseason expectations being factored out. So that's still in there just a tiny, tiny bit at this point. We'll see what happens once that's finally out. I don't expect it to make a big difference at this point, but... Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I will say, here's a little, little trivia time for you, Joe. Okay. There is there's like the main four factors that Ken Palm measures. These are like the big stats. Effective field goal percentage. So that's just how many of the, the shots you're hitting, and that's weighted by three pointers, meaning more. There's turnover percentage, offensive rebounding percentage, and free throw percentage. Not how many free throws you hit, but how often you get to the free throw line. In one of these four factors. And it's measured differently, offense and defense. In one of them, the Friars are a top five team in the country. Do you know which one? Can you repeat them? Shooting, turnovers, offensive rebounding, or getting to the free throw line. I'm going to say getting to the free throw line. Ding, ding, ding. The Friars are the fourth best team in the nation at getting to the stripe. Yeah. So that's I, all I, Yeah. You know what? You play in the paint, you get to the stripe. I, I say that all the time. Um, what what game was that? St. John's fans were complaining that they didn't get as many free throw attempts as Providence fans. Maybe change your offense. Maybe stop stop tell Julian Champagne to stop chucking up threes with twenty nine seconds left in the shot clock. Maybe then yep. you'll get to the line. Mm-hmm. I, and, yep. and you know what helps things out? 
Al Durham and Alan Breed combined 14 for 14 from the line against Georgetown. You know what that is? That's Perfect. hot. Yeah, that's oh my god, so hot. That's hot. Yeah, and that's been. This is what the Friars have. The offense has kind of always been designed to do. We're going to go through a center. We're going to bury you in the paint, and we're going to get to the line. In the past, they all they haven't always had the guys that are going to hit those free throws. I don't think it's a surprise that the two best seasons we've seen in recent history come with Juan Pipkins and Al Durham, two of the best free throw shooters they've had in recent history. Not a coincidence, you know what I, guys. You know what I'm thinking about here, too? And, you know, this is completely off the rails because I should have said this back 40 <laughs> minutes ago when we started the podcast, but is how versatile our paint play is between mm-hmm. Nate Watson and Ed Croswell. Because uh, on one hand, you have... um, opposing defenses planning for the size and girth of Nate Watson in the paint. And on the other hand, when he comes out, they don't know what to do with Ed Croswell because Ed Croswell is not 6'10", 265. But when he gets the ball, he plays like he's 6'10", 265 because he goes up against Watson in practice, but he's just physically tougher than a lot of his opponents, and he's niftier around the rim than Watson. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Watson. Fantastic. Yeah, I love Watson's hook shots. I think Watson's ability to stretch the floor and hit that little 15-foot jump shot has changed the way uh, uh, defenses prepare for him. But when it's Watson, you know what what you're going to get. You're going to get bully ball. Hor- uh, not Horkler. Croswell's playing a little bit of bully ball. There was a sequence in the second half. He got the ball around the free throw line, takes a dribble, spins, lowers his shoulder a little bit, gives, gives his defender a little nudge, and gets a nice little roll off the off the glass. And Raftery loved it, but it, it was a nice play. And you can't help but think Ed Croswell doesn't get that toughness, doesn't make that layup if he doesn't practice against Nate Watson every single yeah. day because you pick and up not, tips not, against the guys you practice against and not just watson Manaya, he's tough as nails down there al durham he is tough horkler he's tough they're going at it every day in practice and we don't see it but i bet you these red shirts these guys that they have come in they're pretty tough at this point too you got all these guys going against each other that's going to help out uh, cooley said that they call croswell uh croswell cleaners cleans up everything around the rim for you and oh boy has he been that recently I mean, he's been a revelation this year. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we got one more announcement to make before the end of the show, and that's that's the announcement we had with uh, Bob Driscoll. Came out right after the game, and the team, uh, the school, put out an announcement today about it. He's retiring at the end of this year. That's that's not one I saw coming, Joe. That's not one I saw coming either. I had um, the privilege to meet with Bob Driscoll several times through a couple of different clubs while I was on campus. Um, obviously, I worked in the athletic department as did you, Matt. So he was ob- he was in and out of the office, but um, that he- he's done wonders for the athletic department as a whole outside of Providence uh, men's basketball. Um, you look at the men and women's hockey team, women's basketball, women's soccer, men's soccer. Um, field hockey, lacrosse, softball, everything. Like he does a fantastic job. Um, it's very sad to see him go, but we wish him the best in retirement. He is, um, if you've ever met him, happy-go-lucky guy. Never has a, a frown on his face. Always smiling. And something that I always appreciated too is anytime you spend a significant amount of time with him, maybe five minutes or so, he'll give you a little black. Um, Friar family wristband and say you're a part of the Friar family and you look around on campus a lot of the athletes a lot of the coaches are wearing them so 
he just he's so inclusive he loves everybody and it's just a nice personable touch like you have the chance to meet him one-on-one you get a wristband you're part of the family you know um great guy really really fantastic athletic director you tip our hat to him you wish him the best in retirement yeah and he's, he's been with the friars for 21 years he's been i mean obviously we talk about the basketball team he's done a ton outside of the basketball team too helping all the sports teams building all kinds of athletic facilities for them um he back in 2019 he was named the ad representative for the big east diversity and inclusion working group so there i mean he's getting recognition from the conference itself to help lead student athletes and help make sure that the dni efforts are in a good spot across the conference so things like that i mean when it comes to athletes student athletes as athletes when it comes to student athletes as students when it comes to student athletes as just plain people he's done a great job at providence and for the whole conference and yeah we definitely wish him the best after this hopefully hopefully providence can send him out in style let's uh let's get some championships for him yeah why not yeah but yeah so yeah that was the big news that came out of providence shortly after the game uh it was kevin mcnamara reporting it the school has since confirmed it so yeah that'll be a, a new page for providence but the next page for the Friars, Sunday at noon at the Dunkin' Donut Center. They'll be hosting Butler. Again, Providence now 15-2, and 5-1 and one in conference play. Butler's just at 500. They're 9-9, and 2-5 and five in Big East play. I'd say a must-win game for the Friars. This will be on Fox Sports 1. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter and subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. You can stay up to date. The best Friars coverage around. We'll have a podcast for you after that one. And then we're going to have the game against Xavier next week. So make sure. I mean, now we're really getting into things. Make sure you're here for everything. Stay with our content. That's it. That's what we want. And uh, for Joe Howie, I'm Matt St. Jean. Thank you for listening. Go Friars.